There's no doubt that small businesses are the foundation of our communities. That's why MasterCard has invested in tools to support small business owners as they grow their business. With MasterCard tools and resources, you can increase sales by shortening checkout time, broadening your customer base, and tapping into new opportunities to increase customer loyalty. So get started. Discover all the ways MasterCard can help guide, grow, and protect your business at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. February is Black History Month, and we believe it's important to honor, celebrate, and pass the mic to black entrepreneurs and the support organizations that help empower them. Join us as we share the contributions and accomplishments of black entrepreneurs and learn about their lived experience as founders across Canada. Stay tuned all month and look for a recap of these stories and a complete list of resources at the end of February on the Startup Canada blog. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Isaac Oluwalafe. Isaac Oluwalafe Jr. is a financial and real estate entrepreneur, investor, and philanthropist. He's the founder of DreamMaker Ventures, a venture capital and real estate company that focuses on startups led by diverse founders. Isaac established the Dream Legacy Foundation, a philanthropic organization advocating for millions of talented black citizens and other underrepresented communities. He's also the managing director of Black Innovation Capital, the first institution-backed venture fund for black entrepreneurs. In 2010, at the tender age of 26, Isaac established the DreamMaker Realty Oluwalafe Family Scholarship Award at the University of Toronto, and that was the largest endowment for African studies at any Canadian university. He's also launched the first black tech incubator out of a Canadian university, the Black Innovation Fellowship. Isaac, congratulations on all your accomplishments and welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be on. It's great to have you here. The first question we usually ask here is to let people know, hey, they should stay riveted to their headphones for the next uh, half hour or so. What's the top piece of advice that you hope our listeners and fellow entrepreneurs will take away from today's conversation? Um, I think some of the top advice is really um, stepping outside your comfort zone. Um, always be willing to learn something new. Um, and, you know, you could have a social impact and a financial impact um, at the same time. Fantastic. So take us on, uh, take us along on your entrepreneurial journey. How did you get started and how did you choose, uh, you know, the fields you wanted to go into? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the entrepreneurship journey is really about 16 plus years now. Um, I grew up in, um, in an area called Woodbridge, um, just north of Toronto. Um, and for the last 20 plus years, I've been in that uh, in Woodbridge. And my dad has been in real estate for the last 20 years as well, too. So those the environment of being in Woodbridge and my father were two driving forces pushing me into entrepreneurship and getting me interested in real estate. Um, at 21 was when I started my business while I was at University of Toronto. And really at that time was just trying to buy one or two properties. And as I was finishing university, we, you know, I, I got my real estate license and then launched officially DreamMaker Realty um, as a real estate brokerage uh, with my dad. Um, and then the, the several years later, you know, as one of the top agents within the within the city for new builds and construction, um, that's when we started to jump into the development space. So I launched DreamMaker Developments uh, with our first project being a nine-story building across of Yorkdale Mall. 
And really, that's when all the other divisions started to be created um, from from um, Dream Insurance, which is our insurance brokerage, to then Dreammaker Ventures, uh, which became our venture arm, um, and then Dream Legacy Foundation, which was our nonprofit arm um, to bridge the gap between the institutions and the Black community, and then our path of really building infrastructure and business across uh, across the city. Wow. So was it always your plan to build this you know, integrated and diverse financial and real estate company? Or, or did that just sort of come along as, in the form of this opportunity and that op- opportunity coming along? Yeah, it was, only, it was really, really organic, right? When we first started, when I first started, I was just a real estate agent and real estate broker. I was buying units and realized that, you know, as we bought units for ourselves and for investors, we needed to manage those units. And that's when we launched DreamMaker Management, um, and then in working with other developers, we realized the key to growth and wealth creation is you need access. And, and we said, let's try and create our own type of access. So that's when we launched DreamMaker Developments and to develop and build our own product. Um, and sort of the aha moment on the venture and technology side was when we did a, a scholarship with um, or a, a, name, a roommate of a name at Ryerson University, the Isaac Orolafe Digital Media Lab. That's when I got exposed to the DMZ and to the venture space, to the technology space, and saw that as a great industry to diversify my portfolio, um, as that's the future of, of business, is technology and innovation. Um, and that organically formed into DreamMaker Ventures. Um, and through that, it organically merged into, morphed into, I should say, um, Black Innovation Capital. Um, as a result of focusing on Black entrepreneurs, uh, which was a, a gap missing in the tech space. Right, right. It, it, the way you tell it, it almost sounds easy, but I imagine it wasn't. <laughs> what were some of the challenges you had to overcome as you advanced in your career and started building these other businesses as well? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think every day um, it's always learning. Like I said, always learning something new. Um, I was 28 years old when I did my first project across of Yorkdale, didn't have no experience in the development and construction space and really had to be um, comfortable with getting hundreds of no's before I got the first yes um, in terms of funding for that project and really get into the venture space and really not really having those within the community to lean on, but was fortunate that I was able to build relationships and connect with those in the tech space um, to, to give me insight on the things they were invested in, how they were seeing companies um, so where the market was going um, and, and really being um, able to, to learn on the spot and learn fast and, and pivot um, in areas um, where, where we needed to pivot and being able to just continue to knock on doors until they were open. Um, so opportunities, more opportunities will come. Right. I, I just want to go back to those hundreds of no's because that will resonate so much with so many <laughs> of our listeners, what kept you going? What helps you get through hundreds of no's? I think, you know, going into the industries that I'm in, um, you know, at that time as a young developer and builder, I knew it wasn't something that, you know, everyone gets up and, and does right away. And I knew that there'll be difficulties. So I knew to in the beginning that it will be hard. So when the hard periods did come, I wasn't surprised uh, when the dif- difficulties did come. It didn't discourage me because I knew that what I was trying to do 
first off within my community was fairly new uh within my family was new uh, within my age group was fairly new as well too from not being a second or third generation developer as well so i knew the roadblocks were going to be there um and i really just understanding that um, the more i succeed and grow it'll become a massive ripple effect for those that were watching me um and and really trying to trying to support me as well Wow. Now, the fact that you called your firm DreamMaker, um, does that hint that you were doing something a little bit different than other brokers in the field? Absolutely. Like right, right off the gap, uh, the, the bat, our, our goal was really using real estate as a tool to, to build generational wealth, um, bring it, doing financial literacy, and really turning that dream of home ownership into a reality. Um, and really when you, and we'll talk about this later about what we're now doing with, with Black North and the Home Ownership Bridge Program, that's exactly what we've done. You know, we turned the dreams of owning and we are gonna be turning the dreams of owning for, for um, individuals in a community that typically doesn't have the lowest percentage of home ownership into a reality. Um, that's exactly what we're doing um, in Black Innovation Capital and Black Innovation Fellowship. Uh, we're, we're turning the dreams of, you know, of owning a successful business, of, of growing a successful business, a reality by creating environments for businesses to be able to come collaborate, um, gain mentorship, gain access to capital, gain access to um, attraction team to be able to scale their business. So. You know, DreamMaker is um, is a name that has given much responsibility uh, because a lot of individuals, you know, come to us literally with their dreams and and in terms of you know wanting to to get into home ownership, wanted to um, get into the venture capitalist space, wanted to get into growing their their business. Right. Uh, one more question about about real estate. So obviously, you can't talk about Toronto real estate without talking about just how much values and prices have increased over the past five, 10, probably 20 years um, with none of the setbacks that the United States saw in, in real estate prices. It just keeps going and going. How, how has that complicated your mission when you started out? A house cost X, now it costs, or, an, or a condo, now it costs two or three X. So is that a frustration for you or have you figured out ways to get people into the real estate space anyway? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why it's so important that about 10 years ago, making the decision to become a developer, become a builder um, has really positioned me to help those that lack access to opportunities um, even more so now because things are so expensive and pricey. Um, and that's when access um, especially within a community, access to something is even more important. And, and I think with the programs that the government are doing to be able to access those programs, you have to have an understanding of those programs. You got to know how it suits you, how it's packaged for you. Um, and if you don't have that understanding, then you're not going to be able to take advantage of it. Um, but with the work that we're doing, knowing that a, a big component of our business is helping those in underrepresented communities, um, we're 
able to provide that access and break down that information and break down those programs and policies that are in place to help homeowners, to help renters um, to get affordable rent, to get affordable homeownership. So I, so as prices has gone up, it's definitely helped a lot of individuals that have been part of our program for almost 15 years, um, but also is allowed us to, to show the value of real estate and why it's important um, for, for real estate to be part of um, a community like the Black community because it's, it's key in building stability, um, security, and also leverage um, for other opportunities um, in the community. Right. So, so, so tell me again how you ended up pivoting into the, the venture capital space. It sounds like it was first encountering the, the DMZ, the accelerator at Ryerson that introduced you to the, this whole innovation community. Yeah, no, again, it's, it's, it was so, so organic again. And I, and I got to thank Christian uh, Meta, who, you know, originally was helped me on the, on the foundation side at U of T and then also at Ryerson, you know, I, I remember he approached me and said, you know, there's an opportunity to, to give a gift to Ryerson. They're building this new student learning center um, and they're putting a focus on technology. And I thought, oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, so, you know, the room was a digital media lab and Isaac Olafi Digital Media Lab. And the purpose of the room was to provide access to technology for students and non-students of Ryerson, um, regardless of their courses that they're taking, whether it's a 3D printer um, and or whether it's um, um, a computer to be able to design something. So I thought that was very interesting, just the aspect of providing access to technology to students to be able to come up with a business idea. Um, and then the former president, Sheldon Levy, gave me a tour of Ryerson. And that's when I saw the DMZ and really got exposed to what they've been doing for the last five years prior in terms of being an incubator for entrepreneurs. And then I just started to study. Like I literally went back home and really just started to study the tech space, study the tech companies, um, and then started to realize how much dollars was being poured into the tech space from the federal government um, and from corporations. Um, and then I realized that that's something that as an entity, we had to play a part in. Um, and that's when Dreammaker Ventures was launched. Um, and at that time, really was just looking at companies in the prop tech space because of my connections to real estate and the fintech space, um, because my connection to, to finance, um, and then doing other research of where else is the economy going. And, and through that, got into a few logistics companies um, and enterprise e-commerce companies based on where the economy was going. And can you bring me up to date on uh, Black Innovation Capital and Dreammaker Ventures? So, so, you know, how many companies have these organizations invested in? What, what kind of track record are they racking up? Yeah, so Dreammaker Ventures, uh, which we slowly pretty much put, a, put an end to that as I transitioned to general partner of Black Innovation Capital. But, you know, Dreammaker Ventures, you know, some of our companies that we were able to get into was, was Second Closet, which is now Bolt. Um, and Hopper, uh, which, you know, which is another uh, unicorn in the Canadian tech space that is, Hopper, yeah, uh, that's yeah, that's changing the, the, the travel space. Um, so we we're fortunate to get into those companies. We got into a few companies in the U.S. as well, too. Um, so that's been doing very well. But I'm very excited about, you know, Black Innovation Capital. You know, originally when we launched it with my, with my partner and fund manager, Liz, the goal was to raise $10 million. And, um, you know, we're, we're happy to say we're almost double that. 
um, and been able to get strong institutions across Canada, from from BBC to RBC to Teller's Venture to Scotia Bank, um, Tony Lacavera from Global Life, you know, and the list goes on. And we're very appreciative on the sort of the welcoming from the institutions in corporate Canada and the realization that you know they needed to double down on investing in the Black community, investing in Black entrepreneurs, and fortunate that they chose the Black Innovation Capital to do that. Do you get the feeling that they're just sort of trying to be good citizens, or do you get the feeling that some of these institutions, you know, are really trying to make a difference? In, I, I, I in think, the honestly, they're really trying to make a difference, and, and that's why, like never before, you're seeing investment dollars into the community. Um, it, it's gone from just doing sponsorship dollars, event dollars, to now saying let's invest in tech companies because there's a ripple effect, as you know, as we've seen in other businesses, as we've seen in the wealth simple of the world, the Saunders of the world, the Shopify of the world, the impact of a tech company growing. What is that impact on the employees? What's that impact on that area that they're located in? And then what's that eventually indirect impact on the economy and Canada as a whole? So now take that into a community that has one of the lowest rates of employment, lowest rate of small businesses, lowest rate of access to technology to be able to get institutionally dollars back in a fund to invest into those communities is showing that institutions in Canada are, are really leaning forward um, to, to do something that has been uh, systemic um, problems. Right. And so what are the top things you're looking for to in invest in a startup at Black Innovation Capital? Yep. Is it industry? Is it growth potential? Is it character? Yeah, no, absolutely. All of the above. We're, we're looking for companies that are going to disrupt the industries that they're trying to change. Um, that they're going to bring value-added services. Um, you know, we're we're uh, one of our few companies that we invest in. There's a company called Fine. Um, they're looking to disrupt the 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 hair space and beauty space, and when it comes to scheduling and payment processing um, for for the Black community across Canada, similar companies in the U.S. have done very well, hitting unicorn status. Um, we're, we're getting into an e-commerce company, which has been co-invested by BDC um, in Montreal. Um, and, uh, you know, we got into a, a logistics company that's, that's not only doing work um, locally, but is, is expanding even in Africa as well, too. Um, and, you know, we're, there's, there's fintech companies that we're talking to right now um, that they're coming up with payment processes for, um, which are linked to your credit card, um, which are linked to your credit score. Um, so we're, it's been amazing that since we've launched, we've seen hundreds of entrepreneurs inquiring into our pipeline um, and sending their, their, um, their pitch decks and really giving us a realization that even a $20 million fund is not enough. Uh, but we're excited to be able to prove the concept um, that there's dollars that are required for this community so that, you know, fund two will even be larger. Um, we're, we're excited about the partnerships that we've been able to form, not only in Ontario, but in Quebec um, as well, too, um, who are sitting on our advisory board. They're running Series A funds, Series B funds, so we're getting their expertise that we're able to bring down to the entrepreneurs we invest in. Wow. Now, given your 
personal commitment to, to, to this community, it must be hard when you have to turn down entrepreneurs. And, and in the business that you're in, your job is really turning down entrepreneurs because sure. that's, that, 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 that's the math that you can only invest in you know, the most promising ventures. How does it feel to turn people down? And have you learned anything about how to do that well? Yeah, no, I think it's, it's, you know, turning people down, but finding alternatives for them is what we've been really focusing on doing. And, and that's why before we launched the Black Innovation Capital, we made sure we said, let us build a foundation and an environment for entrepreneurs to be able to thrive prior to beginning capital. Because maybe not all entrepreneurs, not all companies um, are venture ready, and not all companies need to get outside funding. But all companies need an environment where they could learn from other entrepreneurs, where they could get access to other forms of resources, where they could get grant money, where they could get mentors, where they could learn from other entrepreneurs that succeeded and failed forward and learn from the best practices. So we created that environment with Black Innovation Fellowship um, and, you know, and the federal government you know, doubled down on something like that with the launch of the Black Entrepreneurship Program across Canada of which you know, we're fortunate that Dream Legacy is part of the eco-funding with, I think, 30 other organizations. And most recently was announced that Dream Legacy Foundation in partnership with Carlton will be leading the research for Black entrepreneurs of $5 million funding um, across Canada to focus on the gaps um, that are, are, for, are for Black entrepreneurs, which industries are those gaps and, and how that could be changed. Wow. You know, so many entrepreneurs, they are dreamers, and obviously they're optimists and builders, <laughs> but, it's, but it's sometimes hard to believe that you can actually make an impact. And it sounds like, you know, you really have, that you've inspired a lot of people, you've, gal you've galvanized action, you've, you've raised capital, and raised people's expectations, I think, as well, which is fantastic. What do you think has been your secret to being able to get all this energy flowing in the right direction? Never given up. Um, I think that's really what it is. Uh, you know, the conversation the last 12 months, you know, in 2020 and 2021, with the sort of the movement that was happening across the globe around the Black history, uh, sorry, around the Black community, were really conversations that I've been having with institutions 10 years ago. As you mentioned, with the work that we did with the largest endowment for African studies um, 15, 16 years ago when I was 26. Um, really had to do with building institutional relationship, which I knew very early was important to build to build in a thriving community. Um, you know, I didn't go to U of T New College. Um, I didn't take African studies. I went to U of T Mississauga, but I knew the importance even at that time of building a, a relationship with the institution and the community that was different from just utilizing the institution to form more of a partnership with the community. And, you know, 15 years later, you're seeing that um, head on with the work that we're doing with all the major institutions that I mentioned, the work that we're doing with the levels, all three levels of government um, and the work we're about to do even on the housing side. So that's really interesting. So you mentioned how your donation to Ryerson helped introduce you to the world of startups. How did your award to U of T New College for, for African Studies, how did that help you get involved with institutions? It just exposed me to what institutions are doing around endowment funds um, uh, in regards to 
the, the relationship institution has when it comes to policy making, um, the programs within the university. You know, it was at that time that I realized that, you know, for change to happen, you can't only wait on the institution to make the change. You got to be willing to put some, some, some sweat and risk, risk some capital in, in improving your point. And, and that's why you see with Ryerson, you know, prior to us raising a million dollars with some corporations, um, there wasn't a program for black entrepreneurs, right? But there was black entrepreneurs already looking for something. Right. So it is now shown light to, I think, a lot of people in the community that the institutions that we felt couldn't be changed um, has been consistent for the last 10, 20, 50 plus years can actually be changed. You know, they could actually be open to new ideas. Um, two years ago, we launched um, the fellowship for sickle cell at Sick Kids Hospital focused on sickle cell. Um, and brought a doctor from Nigeria to, to work out of Sikhis Hospital for the next two years to learn best practices, to learn about the research at Sikhis so they could bring it back home to, to Africa and to Nigeria and utilize those best practices. So this, again, is just another example of institutional relationships. Um, when we became one of the first, well, the first company within the Black community to be the jersey sponsor of Canada basketball, and at that time replacing Bell Canada. Again, Canada basketball is an institution within the sports space, right? And, and from the community, the relationship with that institution is more so on playing on the court or playing on the field. And we wanted to show that there could be more forms of engagement with that institutions from being a president um, the same way messiahs of the Raptors, being a coach, being an executive, and also being on the jersey as a sponsor and actually being an owner as well, right? So we're, we're using institutions and using the collaboration with our company and our foundation to really shed a light that really hasn't been shed before, but now is a common conversation. Right. This is an amazing story. Um, I mean, it all fits together. You told the Financial Post that uh, for the Black community to become economic leaders, they need three things. Institutional relationships, <laughs> more small businesses, and more home ownership. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't and I and I and I tell everyone I didn't I didn't come up with that. All I did was I, I researched, um, I studied uh, the landscape, I, I saw the communities that were thriving. And I saw what made them thrive. And, and really, if you look at it, it it's, it's those three things. They have strong institutional ties within the university, within the hospitals, um, within government. Um, and they are driving small businesses, which is a ripple effect because it creates more employment within that community. It creates more mentors within that community. It, it creates an environment for the youth to be able to um, see representation in certain industries. And then obviously home ownership. Um, just in the last 10 years, I think any homeowner um, could tell you the impact of owning a home and what they've been able to do as a result of that, um, be it the, the, able to access equity for higher education for their children, be able to access equity to be able to start a business um, and the ripple effect that could, that could bring. You know, and I talk about infrastructure as a key component of the black community. If you don't have home ownership, it's hard to build other forms of infrastructure, like a hotel, like a community center, like a credit union, like financial in instruments, 
Um, so that's why we're really tackling it from the ground up. Right. Well, thank you for all the work you've done. It's a, it's, it's quite, quite a story. And then more recently, you've been involved in the Black North Initiative and their housing com- uh, committee, um, the organization founded by Wes Hall in the, the follow-up to all of the issues that uh, the Black community went through last year. Uh, just tell us a little bit about your work there with the housing committee at Black North. Yeah, I know, again, it, it, through the leadership of Wes Hall, you know, another key individual for the Black community and, and really leveraging his relationship, um, again, res- um, leveraging his institutional relationship and corporate relationship to tackle a problem within a community, which is home ownership, you know, and I was tapped as the chair of the committee, um, a privilege to be able to chair a committee that is going to do something that's historical, uh, which is work with all levels of government to provide funding specifically for, for Black families uh, with income between 65000 and 75000 We were able to get a historical announcement from Peel Region um, towards the end of 2021, where they allocated $2.5 million um, out of their budget to go to 50 Black families within the Peel Region. And we're working with the federal government and CMHC for for those type of uh, announcements as well, too, uh, which you'll be hearing um, in later in 2022. So we're, we're really excited. And this goes back to the work of DreamMaker as a whole and, and the mandate of really building legacy, um, using real estate as a tool to build generational wealth and really knowing that any work that we're doing should should live past um, past myself, past our company, and have a generational impact. Wow, I, I think this is the podcast I've said the word "wow" most often in. <laughs> um, it's a it's an amazing story. We've been talking with Isaac Owolowale, and he's a entrepreneur, a builder, and most importantly, a community builder and country builder from the sound of it, because you're young yet. Our last question we ask on our podcast here is, what's the most actionable piece of advice that you'd like entrepreneurs to take away from this conversation? Let's talk about Black entrepreneurs. What's the most actionable piece of advice you hope Black entrepreneurs will take away from our conversation today? I think the biggest thing is really um, don't have the fear of dreaming big, regardless of how scary that dream could look. Um, and how many roadblocks that dream may seem to have for it to be reality. Um, you know, step outside your comfort zone. Um, be willing to, you know, build relationships outside of the community, outside of your comfort zone. Um, because, you know, I've been sh- able to show in the last 15 years that it's because of relationships outside of the community that I've been able to have a massive impact within the community. Um, and, and I think that's, that's something that, you know, involves, again, the institutional relationships. And uh, it all comes down to ignoring those hundreds of no's until you start getting all those yeses. So congratulations, exactly. Isaac, on all your success at DreamMaker Ventures and Black Innovation Capital. And we'll talk again. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Startup Canada podcast. This show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles, and it's made possible by the support of MasterCard and Scotiabank. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Spence.